Welcome to Palace Confidential, the weekly podcast all about the royal family where we assemble some of Britain's most fabulous experts and commentators and delve into the news coming out of the palaces to keep you royally clued up. I'm your host, Joe Elvin, editor of the Mail on Sunday's You magazine. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple and Google. And if you haven't already, why not sign up for the daily Mail Plus briefing at mailplus.co.uk, where you can also watch Palace Confidential on video. Welcome to Palace Confidential, the weekly look at all things royal filmed in the Royal Borough of Kensington and Chelsea, if you don't mind, at Mail Plus headquarters, where rather unglamorously there is some building work going on today. So sorry if you do hear any of that. I'm Joe Elvin and here's what we have coming up for you on today's show. Another week, another faux pas for Prince Harry. And Charles Couture, we discuss the Prince of Wales' new foray into fashion. And as the Queen returns to public life, we take a look at a revised book celebrating her life in photos. But first, there have been even more twists in the story of Martin Bashir's conduct towards the late Princess Diana and how he convinced her to give an interview to the BBC in 1995. Richard Kay covered the story for the Mail at the time, and he's been covering it for us 25 years later. Here he is with the latest. The BBC have promised a full and searching inquiry into the allegations about how Martin Bashir obtained his interview with Princess Diana all those years ago. This came about because of the result of Earl Spencer, Diana's brother, uh, releasing information, information that in fact that he released to to me in the Daily Mail. Uh, Bashir is said by, by Spencer to have made a string of allegations, quite poisonous allegations, about members of the royal family and crucially members of Diana's circle. So the BBC have promised to look into this. We don't yet know what kind of inquiry it will be. Will it be led by a judge, as, as was the, the famous inquiry into the activities of Jimmy Savile a few years ago? Um, and, and there is an urgency now, because number 10 have piled in and said it is right and proper for the BBC to hold this inquiry, but they've got to get, that, they've got to get on with it. Bashir, we know, has been recovering from serious uh, ill health. Um, he's had quadruple heart surgery. He's had COVID-related problems too. But nevertheless, he was photographed in the Mail sister paper, the Mail on Sunday at, at the weekend, uh, walking down the street with a, with a takeaway meal. Um, so either he's unwell and can't answer questions, or he's better, in which case we need to hear from Bashir. Obviously, what Martin Bashir has to say will be central to the inquiry too. For the Queen, Remembrance Week is the most Im- important week in her calendar. But nonetheless, the, the overriding impression has been that it has been pushed to one side because of the allegations about Panorama. They will, of course, be thinking, oh, it's Diana again. You know, 25 years since Panorama, 23 years since her death, and still Diana is dominating the headlines. They will obviously be concerned because the, the Panorama interview uh, led to all sorts of um, unforeseen events when Diana sat down with Martin Bashir. It hastened the divorce between her and Prince Charles. And a number of people in royal circles lost their, lost their employment as a result of, of the, the film. So there are all sorts of issues there. For the royal family themselves, I think particularly for William and Harry, it must be troubling yet again. Uh, William in particular, of course, has been dragged into this. One of the central allegations, according to Lord Spencer's dossier, was that William had been given a watch which had some kind of James Bond type of recording device on it in which he was able to eavesdrop on his mother. I mean, the implication being that this was done at the behest of the other side, 
presumably the Prince of Wales' side, so that they would know what the princess was up to, who she was seeing and what she was saying. Um, and preposterous, of course, and, 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 and quite upsetting, because William himself at that time was, was 13 years old, um, and the idea of him being dragged into this unseemly war between his parents must, even now, today, be quite disturbing for him. Well, here to discuss this and the other big stories this week is the Mail's columnist Sarah Vine and royal writer Victoria Murphy. Welcome to you both. Thanks for being here. Sarah, I'm going to come to you first. Now, neither Bashir nor the BBC coming out of this particularly no, covered in glory. What, not smelling of roses. <laughs> not smelling of roses. I mean, I just think preying on a person like that, I mean, making her think that she was being spied on via her own child, it's quite, it's not just sort of duplicitous, it's also quite cruel and well, I think quite wicked in a funny kind of a that way. That was the bit that really yeah. threw me. I mean, what do you think William I mean, and Harry are making of this, Victoria? These are two men who we believe are not speaking at the moment, they're not on good terms, but I do think when it comes to anything to do with Diana, we are going to see them be continually united. We saw they released a joint statement a few weeks ago about a statue in her memory, so I think if they do say anything, it will come from the both of them. But this was a really difficult time in their childhood this interview um, and you know they have watched their mother dissected by the world in her life and in her death and I think seeing this come to light but also the conversations that are sparked because of mm. that the discussion about their mother that's kind of reignited I think they're always very keen to try to have a bit of control over the narrative over how she is remembered. I mean, I mean she did she did he really filleted her mm. Bashir I mean it was all laid bare and as you say it was very very upsetting for the boys at the time and also it will have informed their responses to the press and how they feel about things you know and the, the, the worst part of it is that it's the BBC which is, you know, a public service broadcaster that is funded by the taxpayer. This is the kind of behaviour that you would expect, you know, you would frown upon if a sort of grubby little tabloid did it. Can you imagine if the News of the World had done something like that? You know, it's, 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 you don't expect that behaviour from an organisation like the BBC and you don't expect the BBC to cover it up, which they did, no, no, because, they, because there was a whistleblower, which was the guy who was you know, employed to make the forgeries of the bank statements. And the BBC supposedly had an internal inquiry and concluded that they'd done mm. nothing wrong. And I don't, I just don't, I mean, that is extraordinary. I mean, itself. it's as fascinating as the actual original interview yeah. in its sort of like, you know, the level of deception and yeah. you, 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 it feels made yeah. up. It's so But also entitlement, you know, yeah. we're the BBC, we can do what we like. And Harry and William do remain very close to the Spencer yeah. family and they, they have, you know, a very good line of communication there. So I would be surprised if it was happening against their wishes. Exactly, or if they didn't know about it. it. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating, and I'm sure that we will be covering this more and more as, it, as more details come to light. But moving on now, the Diana story took a lot of the front pages this week on what is traditionally a busy week for the royal family with various services and remembrance events. Here to tell us more about the news and controversy is the Mail's royal editor, Rebecca English, joining us. Hello, Rebecca, how are you? Hello, glam rock queen. <laughs> Thank you. Well, Rebecca, let's start with another queen, the queen, who lots of people were very happy to see back out and about. Absolutely. She's been out and about twice this week, actually. On Remembrance Sunday, she led the nation's commemoration on her now familiar position of the Foreign and Commonwealth Office balcony as senior members of the royal family laid wreaths on the Cenotaph. But also earlier in the week, we saw her taking part in a really intimate and very moving ceremony at Westminster Abbey. In fact, she went there alone 
to lay a replica of her wedding bouquet on the tomb of the unknown warrior to mark the centenary of his body being brought back from France, which was really lovely. Now, a lot of people, I think, in this year of COVID weren't expecting to see the Queen in public for quite some time, if, if ever again, some, some people were dramatically predicting. Do you think people, it was important for people to see the Queen out? Hugely. I mean, I spoke to senior courtiers at Buckingham Palace several weeks ago and asked them about Remembrance Week, and they said it was absolutely locked down in her diary, non-negotiable. She was going to be there. What they needed to do was work out a way for her to do it safely, bearing in mind she's 94 years old. And I think they did that really well. They mixed the kind of seriousness, the pomp, the pageantry, the need for to see our national leader out there in public with what was, was kind of right for her. Now, speaking of, there's other people in their 70s, most people in their 70s being told to stay in at the moment. But Charles and Camilla have got other ideas. What, what, what are they up to in Germany? Yeah, despite being in their 70s, uh, Charles and Camilla are about to go on the first overseas visit for a member of the royal family since the pandemic. You're absolutely right, they're going to Germany this weekend and they're going to be in Berlin on Sunday where they're going to take part in the National Day of Mourning which remembers all victims of tyranny and it's the first time a member of the royal family has ever taken part in that uh, very, very important day in the German calendar. I'm told that 48 hours before they go out, Charles and Camilla are going to have COVID tests in line with local regulations. But interestingly, they're not going to have to self-isolate when they come back because they're part of a diplomatic mission. Okay, well, thank you for clearing that up. And now, Harry and Meghan, always reliable with ruffling feathers. What can you tell us about what's been going on there? Uh, yeah, this has proved very divisive this week. So in a nutshell, the story is this. For the last 10 years, Harry has laid a wreath at the Cenotaph. He's now in L.A. He's no longer a working royal. But nevertheless, he asked Buckingham Palace, could they still uh, could they still lay a wreath on his behalf this year? Now, Buckingham Palace said regretfully, no, we can't. This is an official ceremony and you're no, no longer an official member of the royal family. Harry was furious about this and he went with Meghan to a war grave cemetery in LA. They took along a photographer with them and they released the photographs of them there just hours after the Cenotaph uh, event had finished. Now, this has really divided people. People are either with Buckingham Palace and say, look, Harry, you can't pick or choose. You're either in or you're out, um, uh, and there's no choice about this. Others say, look, Harry served in the military for 10 years. Um, he conducted two frontline tours of duty in Afghanistan, has done a lot for the servicemen since he left the military. This is probably a bit petty by BP. Surely he should have been given the chance to do that. Personally, I mean, for what it's worth, I think although Buckingham Palace were right in what they said, they probably could have found a compromise, maybe putting a wreath at Windsor where Harry still has a home uh, as some kind of compromise. I don't know. I just think maybe if they talked properly about this, we could have found a more dignified way through it. Mm. Well, thank you, Rebecca. We'll be hearing more from Rebecca English in a moment. I'm going to start with the Harry Row with you, Sarah. You'll be pleased to know. What are your I thoughts? I love you... a Harry Row <laughs> every week. Regular. I think everybody loves work. a Harry Harry Row. But I mean, what's the, what, what do you think this says about the advice he's continuing well, I, to get? Well, I think that obviously that he's not. I mean, I, the lines of communication with the palace are obviously very bad mm. because uh, you know you'd have thought, as 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 Rebecca said, that they could have reached some sort of compromise. I thought. I thought the whole 
sort of stunt in California was a bit weird. I was very worried about Megan. I thought she must have rivulets of sweat running down her back. She was clearly dressed in a winter outfit in the Californian sun. I felt quite sorry <laughs> I think for her. Their idea of cold's very different I to ours. Really? <laughs> um, uh, I don't know. It was. I mean, I think. I think it is, it is a, it is, I thought it was very sad because it is an indicator of what he has given up and what he has lost. And, and, and there are going to be more, more moments like this where, where he's not involved in, in, you know, sort of major royal official events. And, and, you know, that's because, as they said, he's not the member, official member of the royal I mean, family anymore. Mm -hmm. That's your decision. I actually think what, what he did makes sense. You've got to look at the context. You know, if we are going to say that Harry and Meghan cannot be seen as totally separate from the royal family, they have their profiles because of the royal family, they were once working royals, and therefore they can't be political, which I think is the right position to take, then we can't treat this as if it is two random celebrities going along to a cemetery with a photographer. You know, the context is that Harry has not just served in the military, but also he has formally represented the military throughout his whole time as a working role in really extraordinary ways, setting up the Invictus Games. He's been a very public advocate for them. And I think he's used to marking remembrance in a very specific, very formal, very public way. And I think by sort of replicating that formal moment and by having it done pictorially, I think it does send a message to the military community that he does not see his commitment as having changed or having lessened and he is here standing formally and you can see that he's doing that. Now some people might say he's naive to think that that his relationship with the military can't change well, but I, I do think I, he I believes that he can continue it. Yeah, sorry to yeah. I'm just fascinated that he doesn't seem to get that no. the relationship has changed with his in his role in the royal family. Yeah, I think that the the military associations were the bit that were the most difficult for him when he left was to have to to step back from yeah. those honorary military appointments. Now, I think he wants to make it very clear to the military community that he doesn't see his commitment as having lessened, and I think he's been very hurt by the suggestions that it has. His commitment has lessened. He has. He's got to live in America and he doesn't do his royal duties in that context anymore. So, the, 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 you know, I'm afraid the reality of it is that he is no longer committed as an individual to those to those servicemen and women. And uh, that's just the that's a function of his decision. I think he would see it as that he is going to have exactly the same level of commitment. But it will have to manifest itself slightly mm. differently. So if you look at the Invictus Games, he's going to continue that. Mm. That's being brought over to a separate foundation and also things like the Endeavour Fund are all going to continue mm. and he's going to continue to champion them. It's the, the formal, official, honorary military roles that he won't have, but I think he wants to, he wants to do all he can to tell that military com community I mean, that he's still there committed. Is, there is with these two people, there is with these two a sense of them wanting to have their cake and eat it. And I think that's one of the problems with this photograph is that it just, it's like, well, we don't, we don't want to turn up to your Remembrance Sunday, so we're going to have our own. And well, actually, they did want to turn up. He, he, he would have wanted to have maybe, been no, there. They, they didn't want to because if they had wanted to, they wouldn't have gone to live in America and relinquished their royal roles. I mean, that is the, that is the consequence of their decision. I think that... They, they I, don't yeah. have sufficient commitment. They don't want to do 
you know, they don't want to do what's required to and be I mean, working I, members of the royal family. But also, family. this and is that's going fine. to keep happening, is it? There's going yeah, to be these, exactly, these yeah. waves of things where say, suddenly yeah. the meaning of what they've done. I do think we'll, we might have to look at some of these moments and say, is there a better solution here? Because it's not just Harry and Meghan who've been criticised over this. As Rebecca said, the institution of mm. the monarchy has received criticism. And actually, it's the monarchy who has more to lose because it's the monarchy who has to appeal to the general public in order to survive. Harry and Meghan can afford now to appeal to a smaller audience and, and the monarchy actually can't so I do think that uh, people need to look at mm. this and look at these moments and think mm. is there a better way forward? Well, I think it's definitely the case for saying that actually the palace might have found, I mean I think what Rebecca said yeah. they could have found a nice compromise Well let's, mm. let's move on and see if they get it right next time mm. but now, now on to Harry's father, Charles and Camilla going abroad it's not just historic, it's in its military symbolism, it's a sign of a continuity of a country in lockdown do you think? What, what, what do you think it means? Yeah I mean, it's a very rare overseas visit during the pandemic. It's only the second overseas visit um, that has happened. I think, you know, the fact that they're going, they're representing the country and the Queen. You know, the Queen does not travel overseas anymore. And so it's a sign of continuity in the sense that she now has an heir who can represent her. Um, and, and that is one of the benefits people who support the monarchy would say, is that we can have these multiple members of the royal family representing us at various different things in the country and overseas. And we can cover, you know, a lot more ground with these multiple working royals. But with the Queen being out and about, again, for the first time in a while is it do you think it is genuinely sarah uh, you know good for morale to yes, see that? i mean that's the job of yeah. the royal family isn't it to be visible to to do these things to perform these functions it represents a kind of normality that i think we're mm. all sort of craving doesn't it i mean the queen is, is 94 but i think she's demonstrated in this pandemic that she is still very much at the helm of the monarchy mm. and she has been a real focal point for those moments of national unity mm. And she wore a mask for the first time as well, which I do think probably was important because she wasn't really criticised because she doesn't tend to really get criticised. She's so popular. But when she didn't wear a mask previously, there was a little bit of a rumbling mm. of, you know, we're being asked to do this and you're not uh, appearing in one and the optics of that. And so the fact that she then did appear in one, I do think that was probably a, a good message to mm. have sent there. Well, let's stay with the Queen now as plans are already underway for her platinum jubilee. She'll have been on the throne for 70 years years in 2022. Plans include an extra bank holiday on the 3rd of June. Rebecca English is back with us now to tell us what can we expect from these enormous celebrations. Yeah, we are talking about uh, 2022. And I noticed some rumblings on social media saying, well, that's two years away. She's 94. But let us not forget the royal family, particularly the Queen's family, have a remarkable record for longevity. And you have to plan these things in advance. And uh, for the fact that she will be the only British monarch ever to celebrate a platinum jubilee, which is 70 years on the throne, is something to celebrate. We're going to have a four-day bank holiday weekend. There's going to be a whole raft of events organised between the royal household and the DCMS. And it's all going to be about not just celebrating, you know, the Queen and her achievement, but the remarkable effect she's had on the UK and the world. And I think they'll also use it as an opportunity to really go out there and uh, blow the trumpet for Great Britain PLC as well. Do you think, I mean, we all remember the Diamond Jubilee celebrations were a big old deal. Do you expect it to be on a par or perhaps even bigger? I suspect even bigger than better. I mean, I know... 
uh, people at Buckingham Palace have been working on this for months already before the announcement today. Um, there's gonna, what they're trying to do, they tell me, is kind of merge the pomp and the pageantry that we're very good at with kind of telling the story of modern Britain as well. So they're planning a whole raft of events over that weekend. I, you know, I think a lot of people won't be able to wait for it. I remember the Silver Jubilee. That's how old I am. A little 50 cent coin in Australia for the Silver Jubilee. (laughs) I'm ready. (laughs) Well, moving on from royal parties in the 90s to royals changing careers in their 70s. Prince Charles, couture designer. What can you tell us? Prince Charles, fashion guru. I mean, hot off the press with his interview with British Vogue, uh, we've now learned that he has, he's bringing out his own fashion line. He's not actually designed it, I have to say, himself, but it's called the Modern Artisan. And it's all part of his Sustainable Marketers Initiative. He wants us to basically turn our back on fast fashion and try to be more sustainable in the clothes we buy and the clothes we wear. Now, just to warn you, but it does come with a princely price tag. I think the cheapest item is something like £395. So it (laughs) it is being sold at a niche market. But the message they're saying is if you can afford to do so, buy less but buy better. And I think that's a message that we can all probably take in whether we buy 395 pound cardigans or a five pound t-shirt at primark so that's the message he's trying to get across sarah have you got 400 quid for a charlie cardi no 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 i don't have you can't see yourself in one of those i I just wouldn't spend 400 pounds on a cardigan i'm really sorry as you can (laughs) can probably tell i wouldn't spend 400 pounds on a cardigan come now um, but i do think it's no i think his point about slow fashion is a valid one and and yeah if you've got if you've got that kind of money that's absolutely fine i'm sure it's very nice range it's probably a bit stayed for me actually do you think it looks a bit out of touch Tiny Victoria, that it's bit. expensive that it's uh, i mean i think the designs look quite classic to mm. me quite neutral colors from what i can see <laughs> i know I think, I think plastic is good plastic yeah. is good and you know i guess it's in keeping with his style perhaps uh, the price point is the thing that's obviously going to make it difficult for you know many people to access um but i think i suppose there's two parts to this project there's the fashion line itself that's being sold and the conversation that started about sustainable fashion because the Prince of Wales is at, is at the helm of this but also this is being made and created by students by people who've been yeah. trained in traditional artisan techniques so that's sort of another facet of what mm. is going on here and, and part of what he wants to do is bring back an appreciation for yeah. these techniques. Well I love the idea of I love the idea of artisans being you know, there's, there's care and there's love put into garments. I mean, I think there is there is something to be said for that. And then Prince Charles is a man who has, you know, who's worn the same suit in various different guises so ever since he was a sort of, you know, True. young man. And so obviously he has, he's one of those people who has his suits altered and, and changed according to the seasons and his, I mean, I mean, cost per wear is a thing, isn't it? And, oh, uh, you know, definitely. And yes. I should imagine that his clothes, yes. cost per wear, are quite good value for money. Because if you're the sort of person who's going to, to wear those sorts of clothes you probably will wear them for years and years and years and years to come so we haven't got so used to fast fashion now we've got so used to this idea that we can buy a t-shirt for like the same price as a coffee and a cake mm. you know and that's really normal to us now and i think perhaps it shouldn't be you know and perhaps he is you know having this conversation is encouraging people maybe just mm. to think a little bit differently about clothes and how we buy them and even if people can't purchase this specific range because it is out of price for some people to think about how they can apply that philosophy maybe is a good thing to be thinking about let's talk about the ultimate royal fashion icon our queen our, our majesty and her 
Platinum Jubilee celebrations. What, think, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I think the timing of it is very interesting because I suspect that it will be the first big sort of national celebration post-COVID. Oh, God, do you really it? think we've got to wait that long? Well, it's, what is it, 22? Yeah. yeah. So if you think that COVID is still going to be around you know most of next year and although we'll have hopefully have a vaccine it'll be the first time where people can really kind of come together without perhaps having to worry about you know self-isolating or shielding or wearing masks and i think yeah. that 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 will make it very special it's but, interesting it's been announced now well so that's what i was going to ask you that feels yeah. like i mean i guess if you're booking, hang on everybody there's something coming <laughs> yes. and maybe yeah. if there's some like fun in doing in an extra bank yeah. holiday maybe you, know, you have to get in there yeah. early i don't know but it, it does feel a little bit earlier than perhaps the diamond yeah. jubilee celebrations were announced yeah um but but i think it's such a big milestone it's the first monarch ever to reach a platinum jubilee she's already Britain's longest reigning monarch, but those celebrations were actually very low-key in 2015. It wasn't really marked in a big celebration. So it will be a huge thing. And what we do see with the royal family, and one of the things that they often do very cleverly is, you know, um, personal milestones or milestones relating to them as royals can become sort of just general moments for focal points for national mm. celebration and then everyone's sort of celebrating them but everyone's really just celebrating and I think that's what we'll see. Yeah. Well one man who has kept a close eye on the Queen's reign is Christopher Warwick. He has produced an updated version of his photo book Her Majesty which is a remarkable collection of pictures taken of the monarch by various photographers. Christopher told us about how the photographs told the story of her extraordinary reign and some of his favourites. What's important about having a book like this, a collection of photographs, is that it shows people how long the Queen has actually been on the throne. It's, it's, a, it's a panorama, if you like, of her reign. Somebody said to me about the crown. It reminds people that the Queen was once young, and so does this book. The journey that the Queen has been on has been, has been a journey of total dedication and duty. And these days, they're very often old-fashioned words, old-fashioned sentiments. But, you know, we do have to remember that in 1947, when she was 21, she dedicated herself in a speech she made from Government House in South Africa during their family's tour, she dedicated herself to the nation. She's, she's never faltered. And that's what's reflected in, in this book. For the first 10 years of her life, there was never any expectation that she would come to the throne. There was never any expectation that her father would have come to the throne. But of course, because of the abdication in 1936, she immediately became heiress presumptive. So we do see the transition from schoolgirl, if you like, to heir to the throne and to monarch. Now, in this uh, new edition of Her Majesty, uh, you will see photographs of the Queen meeting various celebrities. At film premieres, for example, when there's always this huge lineup, one of the photographs in the book is uh, of there's Marilyn Monroe waiting to meet the Queen. And I think the Queen was delighted to meet Marilyn Monroe as well. I know for a fact that she was at uh, one film premiere, and I think it was Death on the Nile with Peter Ustinov. 
and she'd met Peter Ustinov many times, and she said to him, and, uh, and how does it end? And, she, and he said, well, I think, ma'am, you're going to have to watch that to find out for yourself. You know, so there is a kind of very nice interaction. But she is a constant in, in an ever-changing world. Politicians come and go. Presidents come and go. Heads of state come and go. We have to bear in mind that she's also a human being and she has a private life, believe it or not. She is a wife. She is a mother. She is a, you know, she's a countrywoman at heart. And that's a huge part of her life. You know, it's stating the obvious, really. But people are as fascinated by their private lives, by the person, as opposed to the head of state. And this book, covers both of those aspects of the Queen's life. Well, look what I happen to have here. The updated version of Her Majesty, published by Taschen, is out now. Now, speaking of fabulous royal photographs, this weekend my own paper, The Mail on Sunday, has produced a special commemorative pullout to mark the occasion of the 10th anniversary of William and Kate's engagement. There are some fascinating photos in there that many will remember and some of you may have forgotten looking at their fascinating relationship as it played out in public. For that, make sure you pick up The Mail on Sunday this weekend and I hear You magazine is pretty good as well. That's all we've got time for this week. A quick reminder before you go that you now find this program as a podcast too on all good podcast platforms. My thanks to my guests as ever, Rebecca English, Sarah Viner, Victoria Murphy, and we'll see you again next week. Bye-bye.